0: Part 2, Chapter 13 of In Desert and Wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Johnson. In Desert and Wilderness by Henrik Schenkiewicz. Translated by Max Anthony Dresmal. Part 2, Chapter 13. The next morning's sun illuminated a strange spectacle stas walked along the rocky walls stopped before each negro moistened his forehead with water and pronounced over him the sacramental words and they slept with quivering hands and limbs with heads drooping on their breasts or tilted upwards still alive but already resembling corpses and thus took place this baptism of the sleepers in the morning stillness in the luster of the sun, in the desert gloom. The sky that day was cloudless, a grayish blue, and as though sad. Lind was still conscious, but grew weaker and weaker. After the wounds were dressed, he handed to Stas papers enclosed in a tin case, entrusted them to his care, and said nothing more. He could not eat, but thirst tormented him terribly. Before sunset he became delirious. He shouted at some imaginary children not to sail too far away on some unknown lake, and afterwards fell into chills and clasped his head with both hands. On the following day he did not recognize Stas at all, and at noon, three days later, he died without recovering consciousness. Stas mourned for him sincerely. And afterwards with Kali carried him to a neighboring narrow cave the opening of which they closed with thorns and stones. Stas took little Nasibu to Krakow while Kali was ordered to watch the supplies at the camp and keep a big fire burning near the sleepers. Stas bustled continually between the two ravines conveying luggage and particularly the rifle cartridges from which he extracted powder and made a mine for the purpose of blasting the rock which imprisoned the king. Happily, Nell's health improved considerably after daily doses of quinine, and the greater variety of food increased her strength. Stas left her reluctantly and with fear, and on riding away would not permit her to leave the tree, and closed the opening with thorny acacia boughs. Owing to the pressure of work which devolved upon him, he had to leave her, however, to the care of Mea, Nasibu, and Saba, upon whom, after all, he depended the most. Rather than to leave her alone for any length of time, he preferred to ride a score of times each day to Linda's camp for the luggage. He also overworked himself terribly, but his iron constitution endured all toil. Nevertheless, not until the tenth day were all the packs distributed. Those of less value were hidden in caves, and those of more importance were brought to Krakow. The horses too were led onto the promontory and a considerable number of Remington rifles were carried by them, which rifles were to be borne later by the king. During that time in Linda's camp, from time to time, some of the sleeping Negroes would start up in an anti-mortem paroxysm of the disease, fly into the jungle and return no more. There were some who died on the spot, and others, rushing blindly, crushed their heads on the rocks in the camp itself or in the neighborhood. These Kali had to bury. After two weeks, only one remained, but that one soon died in his sleep from exhaustion. Finally, the time arrived for blasting the rock and the liberation of the king. He was so tame now that at Stas's order he seized him with his trunk and placed him on his neck. He also had become accustomed to bearing things which Kali pulled on his back over a bamboo ladder. Nell insisted that he was too heavily burdened, but in truth, to him it was like a fly, and only the luggage inherited from Lind could form a respectable load for him. With Saba, at the sight of whom in the beginning he displayed uneasiness, he became quite friendly and played with him in this manner. He would overturn him on the ground with his trunk, and Saba would pretend... That he was biting at times however he would unexpectedly souse the dog with water which act was regarded by the latter as a joke of the poorest taste the children were principally pleased because the beast being quick of comprehension and seriously minded understood everything that was wanted of him and seemed to comprehend not only every order but even every nod in this respect Elephants surpass immeasurably all other domesticated animals, and the king, beyond comparison, surpassed Saba, who wagged his tail to all of Nell's admonitions, and afterwards did whatever he pleased. The king discerned perfectly, for instance, that the person whom it was most necessary to obey was Stas, and that the person about whom all cared the most was Nell. So he most carefully complied with Stas's orders, and loved Nell the most. To Kali he paid less heed, and Maya he slighted entirely. Stas, after making the mine, inserted it in the deepest fissure, after which he plastered it wholly with clay, leaving only a small opening through which hung a fuse twisted of dry palm fiber and rubbed with fine powder. The decisive moment finally arrived. Stas personally lit the powdered rope, after which he ran as far as his legs could carry him to the tree in which previously he had fastened all the others nell was afraid that the king might be frightened too much but the boy calmed her first with the statement that he had selected a day on which the morning was accompanied by a thunderstorm and then with the assurance that wild elephants often hear the peal of thunder when the heavenly elements are unfettered over the jungle they sat however with palpitating hearts counting minute after minute. A terrific roar so agitated the atmosphere that the sturdy baobab tree shook from top to bottom and remnants of the unscraped, decayed wood poured upon their heads. Stas, at that moment, jumped out of the tree and, avoiding the bends of the ravine, ran to the passageway. The results of the explosion appeared extraordinary. One half of the lime rock was reduced to minute fragments, the other half had burst into about a score of greater or smaller pieces, which the force of the explosion scattered to quite a distance. The elephant was free. The overjoyed boy now rushed to the edge of the ravine where he found Nell with Mea and Kali. The king was startled a little, and retreating to the very brink of the ravine stood with uplifted trunk, gazing in the direction from which came the sound of such unusual thunder. But when Nell began to call him, when she came to him through the passageway already opened he became entirely quiet more startled than the king were the horses of which two dashed into the jungle and it was not until sunset that kali caught them that very same day nell led the king out into the world the colossus followed her obediently like a little puppy and afterwards bathed in the river and alone secured his supper in this singular manner bracing his head against a big sycamore tree he broke it like a feeble reed and afterwards carefully nibbled the fruit and leaves towards evening he returned however to the tree and shoving every little while his enormous nose through an opening sought for nell so zealously and persistently that stas finally was compelled to give his trunk a sound smack kali however was the most overjoyed with the result of that day for upon his shoulders had fallen the work of gathering provisions for the giant, which was by no means an easy task. So then Stas and Nell heard him, while lighting the fire for supper, sing a new hymn of joy, composed of the following words. The great master kills men and lions. Yah, ja, yah, ja, the great master crushes rocks. Yah, ja, yah, ja, the elephant himself breaks trees, and Kali can be idle and eat. Ya, yeah, ya. Yeah. The rainy season, or the so-called masica, was drawing to an end. There were yet cloudy and rainy days, but there were also days entirely clear. Stas decided to remove to the mountain indicated to him by Linda, and this purpose he carried out soon after the king's liberation. Nell's health did not present any obstacles now, as she felt decidedly better. Selecting, therefore, a clear day, they started at noon. They were not afraid now that they would stray, as the boy had inherited from Linda among various articles, a compass and an excellent field glass through which it was easy to descry distant localities. Besides Saba and the donkey, they were accompanied by five pack-horses and the elephant. The latter, besides the luggage on his back, on his neck bore Nell, who, between his two enormous ears, looked as though she were sitting in a big armchair. Stas, without regret, abandoned the promontory and the baobab tree, for it was associated with the recollection of Nell's illness. On the other hand, the little girl gazed with sad eyes at the rocks and the trees, at the waterfall, and announced that she would return there when she should be big. Sadder still was little Nasibu, who had loved sincerely his former master, and, at present riding on the donkey in the rear, he turned around every little while and looked with tears in his eyes towards the place where poor Linda would remain until the day of the Great Judgment. The wind blew from the north, and the day was unusually cool. Thanks to this, they did not have to stop and wait from ten to three until the greatest heat was over, and they could travel a longer distance than is customary with caravans. The road was not long, and a few hours before sunset Stas espied the mountain towards which they were bound. In the distance, on the background of the sky was outlined a long chain of other peaks, and this mountain rose nearer and lonely like an island in a jungle sea. When they rode closer, it appeared that its steep sides were washed by a loop of the river near which they previously had settled. The top was perfectly flat, and seen from below, appeared to be covered by one dense forest. Stas computed that since the promontory, on which their baobab tree grew, was about 2,300 feet high, and the mountain about 2,600 feet, they would dwell at an elevation of about 4,900 feet, and in a climate not much warmer, therefore, than that of Egypt. This thought encouraged him, and urged him to take possession of this natural fortress as quickly as possible they easily found the only rocky ridge which led to it and began the ascent after the lapse of half an hour they stood on the summit that forest seen from below was really a forest but of bananas the sight of them delighted all exceedingly not excepting the king and stas was particularly pleased for he knew that there is not in africa a more nourishing and healthy food nor a better preventative of all ailments than the flower of dried banana fruit there were so many of them that they would suffice even for a year amidst the immense leaves of these plants was hidden the negro village most of the huts had been burned or ruined at the time of the attack but some were still whole in the centre stood the largest belonging at one time to the king of the village it was prettily made of clay with a wide roof forming around the walls a sort of veranda before the huts lay here and there human bones and skeletons white as straw for they had been cleaned by the ants of whose invasion lynch spoke from the time of the invasion many weeks had already elapsed nevertheless in the huts could be smelt the leaven of ants and one could find in them neither the big black cockroaches which usually swarm in all negro hovels nor spiders, nor scorpions, nor the smallest of insects. Everything had been cleaned out by the terrible Siafu. It was also a certainty that there was not on the whole mountain top a single snake, as even boas fall prey to these invincible little warriors. After conducting Nell and Mea into the chief's hut, Stas ordered Kali and Nasibu to remove the human bones the black boys carried out this order by flinging them into the river which carried them farther while thus employed however they found that lind was mistaken in declaring that they would not find a living creature on the mountain the silence which reigned after the seizure of the people by the dervishes and the sight of the bananas had allured a great number of chimpanzees which built for themselves on the loftier trees something like umbrellas or roofs for protection against rain Stas did not want to kill them, but decided to drive them away, and with this object in view, he fired a shot into the air. This produced a general panic, which increased still more, when after the shot, Saba's furious bass barking resounded, and the king, incited by the noise, trumpeted threateningly. But the apes, to make a retreat, did not need to seek the rocky ridge. They dashed over the broken rocks toward the river, and the trees growing near it, with such rapidity that Saba's fangs could not reach any of them. The sun had set. Kali and Nasibu built a fire to prepare for supper. Stas, after unpacking the necessary articles for the night, repaired to the king's hut, which was occupied by Nell. It was light and cheerful in the hut, for Mea had lit not the firepot which had illuminated the interior of the baobab tree, but a large traveling lamp inherited from Lind. Nell did not at all feel fatigued from the journey in a day so cool, and fell into perfect good humor, especially when Stas announced that the human bones which she feared had been taken away. "'How nice it is here!' she exclaimed. "'Look, even the floor is covered with resin. It will be fine here.' "'Tomorrow I shall fully examine our possessions,' he answered. "'Judging, however, by what I have seen today, one could dwell here all his life.' If our papas were here, then we could. But how will you name this possession? The mountain ought to be called Mount Lind in geographies, and let this village be named after you, Nell. Then I shall be in the geographies, asked she with great glee. You will, you will, Stas replied in all seriousness. End of Part 2, Chapter 13